as for this morning, you know, if you go onto the internet and you want to find some really encouraging words from Jesus, you might find some of these statements popping up. It doesn't matter what you do, so long as you uh, deep down inside are a very good person. Attributed to Jesus. This is your best life now. Live your dreams. They would attribute that to Jesus. Follow me and I will give you the desires of your heart. Another one. Just, but if you don't have time, I understand you're busy. I just thought it was a good idea. That's all. Attributed to Jesus. Feel good about who you are. Listen to your heart. Happiness is what matters. Just be a good person. And lastly, attributed to Jesus, trust your gut. Today, for, uh, friends, as we, as we look in, into this, uh, this new year, uh, I want us to avoid any of the nonsense that we might hear out in the world today about what Jesus might say, and, and for us to actually see what Jesus did say and is saying to us. And I want to read from Matthew uh, from chapter, in chapter 16 from verse 24 to 27. It's one of the hardest sayings of Jesus, but it is true. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here today. Would you speak to us, Lord God, in this beautiful Durban humidity and heat? Would you keep us awake and ready to hear what you might say to us? Amen. So I'm sure many of you have had many New Year's resolutions. And uh, you've decided to do a number of different things, change your eating habits, go to gym, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but I want to encourage you today that I believe the best and the most important resolution that you can make, not just at the beginning of every year, but at the beginning of every day, at the beginning of every week, at the beginning of every month, would be that you would deny yourself, that you pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. On face value, that sounds rather religious and pious. It almost sounds like something you might hear in an Eastern philosophy. Deny yourself, deny yourself any pleasures. A little bit like maybe even Buddhism. It doesn't sound very enticing. Why in the world would we do that? Well, I, I want to, to start by reminding you that a Christian is somebody who trusts in Jesus for their salvation. That's the first thing. I was telling the teenagers at this advance camp that I saw a clip on social media of a guy talking about what it means to actually follow Jesus. And he started by listing a whole lot of things. He says, if you're a liar, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. If you're an outcast, come to Jesus. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. If you're battling with your sexuality, come to Jesus. He loves you wants to have a relationship with you. If you feel like your life is off the rails and you're not good enough, come to Jesus. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And the man uh, started to just share a number of different examples. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Jesus loves you. Won't you come to him? He wants to have a relationship with you. 
In other words, trust Jesus for your salvation. Put your trust and your faith in Christ as your Savior. The challenge, though, and he goes on to say this, he says the challenge is, is that once you've received the good news, you have to embrace the bad news. You see, in the same way that Jesus died for you, now you've got to die for him. If you accept him as Savior, only as Savior and not as Lord, you're missing a very big part of what it means to follow Jesus. If you accept him not just as Savior but as Lord, then you've got to die to your way. You've got to die to your will. You've got to die to your desires and your feelings. Christians are people who trust Jesus for salvation, but we also trust Jesus as Lord of our lives. This world and all that is in this world is a gift from God. And when we live it under the Lordship of Jesus, we can trust that all of our endeavors, everything we do, will be far greater than anything the world has to offer. But it does take trust. It, it takes this trusting that Jesus is true to his word. For instance, the world says, keep your money to yourself. Be conservative with your money. But you know what? Be generous or promiscuous with your body. When you and I deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, we're reminded that Jesus calls us to be generous with our money and conservative with our bodies. It takes trust to believe that Jesus is true to his word and that when you actually follow his way, he's going to produce a fruitfulness and a life in your life that you would not find anywhere else. In Africa, we have a temptation when it comes to business to cut corners, to be a bit mercenary, to hustle. To deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus is to engage in business and work in a way that God would want you to engage in business and work. To work with integrity, to have godly ethics, to be a great employer and to be a great employee. And the amazing things is that the, the things that you want from your work, the things that all of you want from your work, which is provision, you want honor, you want to be able to make something that is uh, of good quality, that helps human flourishing. When we do it God's way, we can expect exponentially greater fruitfulness because He's Lord of our lives. So the world says, be promiscuous with your body and you'll enjoy the greatest intimacy you'll ever have beyond measure. Culture that the world promotes leads to more loneliness, emptiness, and a lack of satisfaction. God's plan for intimacy is that we're to be faithful in marriage between a husband and wife, and it's in that fireplace that you can enjoy the deepest human intimacy this side of eternity. It looks restrictive on the outside. It looks narrow from the front end, right? But when you and I unite ourselves, not just with the death of Christ, but also the resurrection, there's something greater we can experience. C.S. Lewis in his uh, Narnia Chronicles in the last battle, he's always putting these little theological little notes in his books, and he describes this. He says, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. That's what it means to be a Christian. When you come to Christ, it's this narrow door. It's a narrow way. It seems very restrictive. But when you walk through that door, it's spacious and it's beautiful. We think that freedom is the absence of restrictions. 
You know, the, the fish that decides, I'm tired of this aquatic environment. This water is restrictive. I want to get out. And it takes a swim up and hops out of the bowl, lands on the table and says, I'm free, I'm free, I'm, free, I'm, I'm dead. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's the application of the right restrictions that leads to fruitfulness. So when we as pastors and preachers get up here and urge you to trust Jesus, this is what we're talking about. Trust Him that His ways are good. Trust Him that His ways are perfect. Even if you don't understand it, reckon with the fact that if God is who He says He is, then His ways are not going to high-five your ways. The Bible says as much, Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is is the way to death. And lastly, 1 John chapter 2 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, now very briefly, I just want to touch on two points. When it comes to this truth that we are to deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Why is it that you and I, we're all in this together, why is it that we sometimes drop the cross? Why is it that we sometimes hand it back to Jesus? Why is it that we let it fall? Well, here here are just two things. The first is we forget the gospel. We may not like to admit it, but we are forgetful. It's not a new phenomenon After the many miracles that God performed in redeeming Israel from Egypt, the children of Israel forgot all that God had done. And if you follow the trajectory of the children of Israel, you'll see that the seedbed of forgetfulness was uh, the seedbed that caused depravity to grow and, and them turning away from God on numerous occasions. You can just turn on. You cannot decide to forget something. You, you just can't. You can't willfully forget something. Why, why do we forget? So, I'm, I'm not an old guy, but I am becoming a bit more forgetful. So, age can cause a bit of forgetfulness. Um, and, and there can be health issues that cause forgetfulness. So, let's put that aside. But generally speaking, for the majority of us, the way that you and I forget something is through neglect. Or not caring. That's how we forget things. Carl Truman says this. He says, I can want to forget certain miserable obligations which I have to fulfill. But ironically, the more I dread fulfilling them, the less likely I am to forget them. It, really, it is really only those things to which we are indifferent and which can thus shove to the very peripheries of our minds as irrelevant, which we are able to forget. Through neglect and not caring. What did God give the children of Israel as a means of grace for them to be able to remember what He had done for them? 
Well, God gives Moses a set of repetitive tools and processes which help the children of Israel remember God and remember what God had done for them. In Exodus 12, God establishes the feast, the Passover feast. And everything about that feast was designed to be passed down from generation to generation, reminding them of what God had done. Can you see how even in this means of grace that was given to the children of Israel, there was a responsibility for the parents to speak to the children and the children to their children. And for this wonderful truth of what God had done in saving them out of Israel, out of Egypt was to be passed on through this Passover feast. And this, together with all other celebrations and festivals and rituals, they were all given to the Israelites to have this incredible rhythm in their lives. And, and it was a means of grace for them to remember all the important moments and the important things that God had done. Which is why it's so shocking that within just a few generations, after this miraculous freedom from e Egyptian slavery, the children of Israel suffered amnesia. They neglected those means of grace. And their lives are now marked by godlessness, misery, and failure. I know for myself, as I face this year, I want to live in the fullness that God has for me. And as I trust Christ, not just for my salvation, but as Lord of my life, I am trusting that as I deny myself, make my life not about myself, but pick up my cross and follow Jesus, that He will be faithful and He will be true to His Word. The last thing that I want to do is suffer from this neglect or this just not caring and forgetting the gospel. In this New Testament age, the Christian is given incredible means of grace that you and I would remember what Jesus has done for us. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the body of Christ, the Lord's Supper, baptism. These are all incredible means of grace that God has given us. They are rhythms that help us remember what God has done. We have no excuse. God has, ev God has given us everything we need to keep the gospel front and center. The truth is that we at times neglect those means of grace. The truth is that we end up putting things in place in our lives that end up diminishing our priorities. I really believe that every sincere Christian, everybody who's, who's put their faith and their trust in Jesus, if you were to ask them, what's the most important thing in your life? I believe sincerely, everyone would say, God is the most important thing in my life. They would say that. Yet hypocritically, we don't always live like that. We don't make decisions that reflect what we say. We put other things in place of importance. I so love, for those of you who missed, about two weeks before Christmas, Peter Licht uh, preached and he, he told us a story about how they had been wanting a speedboat for a long time. It was something that they genuinely wanted. But upon reflecting, they began to realize that this singular purchase would completely upend things in their lives that were actually more important. Look, I'm sure that a boat is never a good investment. But if you want to get your money's worth out of a boat, you need to spend time on the water, right? One of the means of grace that God has given us is that we gather as a church and that we're not to neglect the gathering of the saints. That's not me saying it. You might think, hey, Steve's got ulterior motives. Yeah, he's the pastor. This is his special day and he wants us all to pitch up. 
I'm not saying this because these are my words. This is what the Bible says. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. And Peter and Misha realized that the singular purchase would be a lifestyle adjustment that would take something that was a priority in their lives and diminish it. We can neglect things that are important and in doing so forget the gospel and lose grip of the cross that we're meant to carry. The second thing is that we misappropriate grace. We use grace as a sin enabler rather than God-given fuel for sanctification. Grace is amazing. And the reason it's amazing is because it's a free gift to you and I. We come to Jesus with nothing but our sin. And we get what we don't deserve. Jesus dies in our place when he's crucified on the cross. We're the ones who deserve to be on that cross because of our sinful lives. But Christ takes that punishment on himself. He substitutes himself for us, something that we rightly deserve. It's why in Corinthians it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is amazing grace, friends. And when we misappropriate grace and we continue to live life and somehow claim that the grace that, that saw us being accepted by Christ is the same grace that allows us to do that. We're misusing grace, friends. I've, I've quoted this before and I'm going to quote it again because it's so good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer shot by firing squad because he resisted the Nazis who was a pastor, he said this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, man will go and sell all that he has. I don't know if you and I have really grasped how amazing grace is yet for us to even reckon with that, right? It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. To deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus is to marvel at the grace of God and see that His grace is also this incredible ingredient in our lives that enables us to live as God would want us to live. It is the nitrous in the human heart propelling us forward in God. It's God's grace that gives us the strength to persevere in our journey with God. Paul says this to Titus about God's grace. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. So Paul says to Titus, when we read those words, we realize that grace not only saves us, but changes us. 
The salvation that we receive from God is a gift of grace that we receive through faith. It's only when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus that we are saved and we're made right with God. It's why we say and why the Scriptures remind us that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. But then when we read the Scripture, the Apostle gives this instruction to Titus and tells him that that same saving grace is also the grace that we need in order to become like Jesus. Are you with me, everybody? I'm nearly finished, I promise. Without God in your life, it only makes sense that you and I live in accordance with what the world sees as valuable. That only makes sense. If God's not in your life, what does the world say is valuable? Without God, we live for ourselves. We live for what makes us happy. All of those quotes that the internet spurts out of what they believe Jesus said becomes real. Trust your gut. Do what makes you happy. We don't end up living for Christ and, and having eternity in our hearts. The grace that comes to our lives, that undeserved grace, teaches us to live a different way. If a person thinks that salvation by grace is actually a license to continue living for yourself, you've misunderstood grace. Again, I must say on the front end of this incredible command that comes from Christ, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, it seems crazy and very hard to do. But do you trust that Jesus knows what's best? Do you trust that Jesus knows what's best? To believe that although the road is narrow, the freedom that is in Christ is incredibly spacious. With the world being in so much turmoil at the moment, there seems to be a renewed drive within humanity to somehow get the best out of creation, right? Not the creator. Try and get the best out of creation to somehow satiate their wants and desires here and now. Ironically, friends, to deny yourself to pick up your cross and follow Jesus is actually the pathway of getting the best out of the gift of this world that God has given us. So sure, eat better this year. I'm, I'm the worst of it. You know, Bron and I sit, we were just down uh, at Breakers and I'm stronger for a few days. We're lying by the pool and we're both saying, so what are we going to do different this year? Yeah, let's eat more veggies. <laughs> and we do. We, we, we do it and, we, and, we, and incrementally, thankfully, over the years, life does change. All right? So it's not a waste of time. But it's never as dramatic as you think it's going to be, right? <laughs> but eat better. Of course, go to gym. Work on your rhythms of your life. But if you are going to do anything of significance this year, friends, if you are going to do anything of significance this year, would you deny yourself? Would you pick up your cross? And would you follow Jesus? And can I just say, Please don't pretend that you don't know what that means. If God is important to you in your life, then you know what is important in following Jesus. You know, it's like that moment. We can all be purposefully vague, right? It's like that lawyer who goes to Jesus and says, but who is my neighbor? He's not really caring about who is neighbor. He doesn't really care. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying your neighbor is the person you hate the most and everyone in between. But he's trying to, he's trying to get out of it. 
who? Who's man? I don't know. It's like asking a teenager to do the dishes. And then when you go back and check the dishes and you see all the pots haven't been washed. And you say, hey, I asked you to do the dishes. Yeah, I did the dishes. What about the pots? I don't know you meant the pots. <laughs> that, sorry, Daisy's really good about doing the dishes. This is, this is, this. <laughs> but also the reason why you're all laughing is because when you were a teenager, you did the same thing. You keep purposefully vague. I don't really know. I don't know what it means to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. You know what it means. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Come to church for goodness sake. Make this a priority. I'm not saying that you can't go away for a weekend. We have a rhythm. If you know us, and many of you know us well, we holiday well. We plan it well, right? But, but we know that actually the majority of our life needs to, be, needs to be marked by connecting to the body of Christ. This is not a gathering, a pragmatic gathering of people who are same and like-minded, who, who have the same interests. We're not a remote control car club. This is a miraculous body here, friends. This is the, the body of Christ represented here. If it's not a priority in your life, make that your New Year's resolution. Make it a priority. Say, this is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is what we do. So what we do. Prayer should be important. Last year, we started to kick, um, kick into gear again with our monthly prayer at church. And we're persevering. Very few people pitch up to that. Come on, friends. Prayer is important. Zip runs a prayer meeting every Thursday night, uh, Thursday morning. Go to it. Pray. Prayer is important. Hospitality. I was speaking to, to Hilton earlier. Could we be a church that's defined by Sunday afternoon home gatherings, man? Who are you inviting to your home this afternoon? Like, could that be our heart? Could... We need to be a people who gather more around the table than in rows, friends. Come on. Because if you read the New Testament and you're not left feeling hungry, you've not been paying attention. Most of the ministry of Jesus was done around the table. So please don't pretend that you don't know what that means. Now, God's grace is sufficient. We don't get it right. We don't always... Do what we should. But allow the Holy Spirit to fill you to the place where conviction is guiding you to the right place. And that's what we need to be, a people who are being filled cons consistently, daily with the Holy Spirit. God, God, give me the strength. I don't want to go to church today. It's so hot. <laughs> give me the strength, Lord God, to do what you call me to do. Once you st don't stand, we're going to share communion together. <laughs>